Church, God is good all the time. We just witnessed two wonderful salvific moments with uh, Jose y Magdalena. And what I really think about when I speak with the family um, and our brother Goyo, who uh, God has called to help us tremendously with our Latino community, and the reason God has called Jose here and Sarah is because somos la familia de Dios. We are the family of God, regardless of the language we speak. And it just, I can't tell you how it uh, thrills my heart to see these, um, these baptisms. In fact, I can tell you that a whole family's trajectory has changed in spirit, in Christ. And after all, that's what's truly important. As my son Shane shared during the communion, uh, and Jace with the reading, and Joe David with the singing, the truth is, everything that we do whenever we congregate is for God's glory. And we do it not only in fellowship with God, we do it in fellowship with each other. We are truly a family of God. One, in fact, the word family, um, it really, it's all through Ephesians. We're going through Ephesians. And if you don't understand the concept of the family of God, you've missed it from the very beginning when the Garden of Eden was, when God created the Garden of Eden and created Adam and Eve. And from that, you know, sin came into the world and death came. And then through Christ, we are all uh, conquerors. Now, what I'd like to do, those Bibles we're going to distribute, by the way, following the sermon to this wonderful family. Um, this is my opening illustration. I hope it flies. It may not. But if you knew the guy that I play with and you don't, then it wouldn't make sense. Last... Tuesday, um, I met up with an old chaplain friend of mine, a godly Christian competitor of mine for the last umpteen years, and he and I, Gary Smith and I, have served all over the world together in the military. He was also a chaplain, as I was, and we've had some wonderful um, experiences and some great challenges throughout our, our friendship and our brotherly friendship together. Anyway, last Tuesday, I met Gary in Huntsville, Alabama for my one of two rounds of golf per year that I play, and uh, it was a wonderful moment. I can tell you that we met in the clubhouse, and the first thing we did was we went over the rules, not the PGA golf rules, but the Whittington Smith rules, and, you know, two mulligans per side and so forth, and then we put... And if you don't know what Mulligan is, just talk to Wayne Holt. He, <laughs> he's got it down. A Mulligan's a do-over for those who don't play golf. A freebie. Get a bad shot, you just drop it again and hit it again, and there's no penalty. Now, they don't play like that in real golf, but, you know, friends do. Anyway, we had a couple of Mulligans, and we put money on the table. Now, I know, well, just don't tell anyone. It, wasn't, it, it really wasn't gambling because we decided before, and we've done this, that 
whatever money we put together on the table, that the winner will give it to their charity of choice. And it's just a way of extending our contribution. And we've done it, you know, we've done that many times before. So anyway, I can tell you that, uh, oh, and we decided that it would be a food pantry. So I had already in mind the pantry here in Antioch. Notice past tense. <laughs> and Gary from Mahaya, Texas, had in mind that he would give it to one of the um, food for the poor organizations there in Mahaya that he works with as well. At any rate, we put the money on the table, we divided everything up, and we said two mulligans per nine. That's four free shots for out of uh, 18 holes. When it was all over, and by the way, he's a better golfer than I am, but I was taking, and we played metal play. We played um, by your score, not by the skins, by match play. But the first 14 holes I won. That was really, really rare because he truly is a better golfer, and I thought, well, great, I'm going to take this money and give it to Antioch, and of course, I'll have to write a check to the pantry now on my own, but, but I was going to give it to them. Um, but by the 15th hole, things took a downturn, and um, I used, by the way, that's Gary, you'll notice who won. This is what I look like on the 15th hole. It's much worse than it looks. I had lost more than one bowl, and I lost five strokes. I think I carded on a par five. I think I carded uh, not a 10, but a 12, because I used my two mulligans and still lost five strokes. <laughs> but if I'd have had five more mulligans. Anyway, here's the connection, church. I hope it connects. I was thinking right about, and I didn't know he was taking this picture, but I was thinking right about this time, wouldn't it be nice if we could have endless mulligans, endless do-overs? When we make a mistake, just drop another ball and hit it, and it, it's never carded. It's never on the scorecard. And then I thought, wow, we do. We really do. And if we miss this point of God's grace and mercy, then we just miss the whole concept of the gospel. And really, nothing else much matters. You can memorize Genesis to Revelation, but if you miss this point, then your whole life is miserable. It's joyless because you're always keeping score. There's always a ledger. There's always two sides. There's always a plus and a minus, a pro and a con. There's always, let's see, if I do one more thing that's good, then the scales will balance and I'll be with the Lord forever. But if you, if you live life as we all do, if you play golf or play any sport, you realize that no matter how hard you try, you just tend to need another mulligan, another do-over. It's not, it doesn't mean that we can't wait to make a mistake so we can get a do-over. Paul addressed that. He addresses that all through the New Testament. Romans 6 is, is you know, Romans 6, 1. Shall we, shall we sin all the more that grace might abound? And he says, whoa, God forbid. If you think you can sin all the more that grace might abound, you don't understand either concept, either that of sin or that of grace. You miss the point altogether. John writes in 1 John 1 and verse 7, if we Confess, if we, that's verse 9, verse 7, if we walk in the light, if 
as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. And I want to, as I've done many times before, I want to remind us that the verb cleanse is present tense. It's not a one-time, Jose and, and, and Magdalena, this is not a one-time forgiveness. This is the birth into the family. This is the process that God says, now you're part of who we are. Now you're part of my family. And it's, it's an act of grace. It's not a work. Never was a work in, in anywhere in Scripture. It's an act of mercy and grace. And we receive it gladly and willingly. But we realize that, well, what about tomorrow for our new brother and sister? What about, what about next week? What about the week after that? What about when they, you know, have 14 really great holes, and then on the 15th they just fall apart? What happens then? You just pull out of your pocket, which I always carry a ball, <laughs> extra ball. You pull it out and you just drop it. And you swing it again. Church, we have been on the book of Ephesians. We started a, a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I can tell you as a reminder that Ephesians is a book that's written by the great Apostle Paul while he was imprisoned in Rome. And along that time, he wrote Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. Ephesians is an absolutely beautiful book that reminds us of endless mulligans. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with the Word of God, doctrine. This is what we need to learn. This is what we need to talk. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 deal with duty, doctrine, duty. This is what we live. This is how we live, what we've learned. This is how we walk, what we've talked. And Paul so wonderfully divides it so beautifully. Chapters 1 through 3 and then chapters 4, 5, and 6. And so in summation, he'll say in chapter 1, really the first three chapters, he'll say, God has chosen you. God chose you from, from the Actually, from before the beginning of the foundations of the world, God chose you. And I believe he not only chose the church, I believe he chose us, and I think the Bible really corroborates that. God chose you, and he redeemed you in Christ, and he sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Why? Chapters 4, 5, and 6, that you might walk in unity and purity and love and harmony and victory. So today we're on chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. Listen to the word of the Lord. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. For he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This morning we're going to be talking about being redeemed 
by Christ, therefore forgiven of all of our sins. And what's the purpose of the redemption? The purpose is to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Why? Because God had this plan from the very beginning. It was according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Now, there are two ways we can look at the word redeemed. We don't use the word very often today, but we, but we actually practice it all the time. All it means is to purchase back something that you want, either you've lost or you've, you've, you, you want to get it back, you want to purchase it back. But there are really two meanings in Scripture. And we sometimes hear the word bought for a price, 1 Corinthians 6.20, we think, hmm, buy back one's freedom. And the great Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6.20, Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells within you? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Now what price was he talking about? If I want to redeem something else... From my humble perspective, I've got to have some coin. I've got to have some money. I've got to buy it back, whatever it is I want. But not so with God. Why? Because God is omnipotent. There are two meanings to the word freedom. Um, uh, pardon me, to, to the word redemption. One is to buy back one's freedom with money, and the other is to take it back with power. And always in the Bible, God is using his power, not not a purchase price. That's why Paul concludes in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57, he says, he asks, O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. That helped a lot, didn't it? Impotent law. The power of sin is the law, therefore it's impotent. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. His point is clear. The law was impotent. Humanity is impotent. We have no power. The only way that God brought Christ from the, from the grave and therefore saves us as well is because he is omnipotent. It is a sacrificial love, but it's a sacrificial love based on omnipotence on power. So when we've been redeemed in Christ, all, the, all we need to remind ourselves is no one can take it from us. No one can walk up to you and say, no more mulligans. That's it. I draw the line. But who are you? I mean, we're talking about the great scorekeeper. I don't know if this metaphor will continue or not. But no one can take you from God. Nothing can do that. Now, we on our own can, can which, who, who, that's why Paul says in Galatians, you foolish Galatians, you're acting foolishly. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing this. No one can take you from the hand of God, but we on our own, I, God forbid, all my own could say, I no longer want your power. I want to be a part of my, of my salvation, and therefore, I'll earn my way there, and guess what? Well, it's all over now. Redemption. We have been redeemed through Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Did God ask Pharaoh if he would let his people go? Because God did redeem the Hebrews from 400 years of bondage. 
By the way, if you ever want to remember two great events that really tell, that, that uh, summarize all of Scripture, it's the Exodus event and the Christ event. There are no other two events talked about other than creation itself. The events, everything within Judaism revolved around the Exodus event. It is, they would always commemorate, not only during the actual moment when they were released, but from that point on, they commemorated their, their freedom from physical bondage and God's love and glory and power because he delivered them out of bondage. Similarly, on a much higher note, Christ has delivered us from spiritual bondage. The past, that's the only connection between the Passover and the Lord's Supper. One commemorated a commemorates today for the Jews, commemorated a physical freedom. The other, a spiritual freedom that goes on for an eternity. Did God ask Pharaoh? Well, I don't know. Let's read some text here quickly. Exodus uh, 8, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country. Beginning with the blood from the Nile, ending with the death of the firstborn, and eight plagues in between. God did not ask Pharaoh for any favors. Pharaoh is Pharaoh. He's just a regular human being. God is God. So he said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And if he chooses not to, I will strike his whole country, and I can do it. And he did. Eventually, Pharaoh let them go. Now, I want you to notice Exodus 14. I have it on the board, I think. Yeah. And Moses said to the people, this is, this is right at the Red Sea. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he worked for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and this is, this is what's relevant for you and me. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be still. The only offensive weapon we have, which we'll discuss from Ephesians 6, is the sword of the Spirit. The rest is all defensive. Why? <laughs> because we don't have to fight. James 6 and verse 7. Pardon me, James 4. There aren't six chapters. James 4 and verse 7. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Excuse me, why would the devil flee from Benton or flee from wit? I mean, honestly, are we really that strong? No, the devil flees from us because we don't fight the battle. And the devil knows that we have the Spirit of God. He knows we belong to Christ, and he knows he is impotent compared to that. Did the Hebrews earn it? Did they earn their freedom from bondage? Maybe those two million Jews, for they weren't called Jews then, but maybe those two million Hebrews were indeed for four centuries just slowly reaching perfection. You think so? <laughs> Read the, No, I don't think so. Listen to this. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples that are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. Here's the reason. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the promise. Hmm. We could take that one phrase and put together a series of ten sermons. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the promise which he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. We bruise. They were God's people, and today, completed in Christ, they remain God's people, and we are the people of God. Why? Because we are just so good. Maybe compared to the world, but compared to the Lord Christ, compared to God the Father, compared to the Spirit of the... No. He chose us because he loves us, and he made a promise, a promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, that through your seed, based on faith, all the nations will be blessed. And that's why Romans eleven twenty six, all of Israel will be saved, because Christ is the, is the, is the fulfillment of, Matthew 5, 17, think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, I have come to fulfill. And that's what Paul reminds the Ephesian church and all the churches that this letter circulated to. You are chosen by God and you are redeemed by Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Well, then wait a minute, Paul, why? Why are we redeemed? Ah, yeah, God loves us. But why are we redeemed? Why is the church saved? He answers the question. Because God in his omniscience had a plan for the fullness of time. And what was the plan? He wants to unite everything in heaven and everything on earth. That's why one day... You know, John, Revelation tells us there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Because God has redeemed us and this old heavens and the old earth, the celestial bodies, if, you know, sin brought everything to a halt and separated us from God. But the day will come, Peter says, when this earth and all the heavens will be burned with fire. Is that it? No. Then he creates a new heaven and a new earth. Us, we are the redeemed, for he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will. And it, it was a mystery. It's no longer a mystery. That's what Paul is trying to tell us. It used to be a mystery. Now, here's the revealed word. Here's the revelation. Insight, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. You know, we live in a very confused season. My son Shane mentioned it during the communion. The songs that Joe David has been leading us in, if you look at the words, much of that will say this is what we aspire to become. The very, the very baptisms 
that we, Jose and Magdalena, and how their life is starting over. We live in a very confused world today. We live in a world that has relegated Christianity to a myth. And all of those who believe to simply the misinformed, that's at worst, at best, the world considers Christianity to be one of 13 major world religions. Just one. The other 12 can get you there too. They can somehow reach this, this you know, superior being that we all bow down and worship. And the world has believed it. Our nation is beginning to believe it more and more. I'm not, the glass is not half empty, it really is half full. And part of the half full is what's reflected a moment ago. But we do live in a very confused world. Understand this, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Would it, if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you with me that you might be where I am. Thomas speaks up and says, Lord, we don't know where you're going and we certainly don't know the way. And Jesus said, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Don't let the author of lies, the devil, who's already convinced many in the world that Christianity is either a myth or it's one of many, it isn't. It is God. At the very best, we would take Judaism and Christianity because Christianity completes Judaism. Matthew 5, 17, Romans eleven twenty six. 26. Do not think, I know you don't, but stand firm when you walk the streets of Antioch and Nashville that you are a Christian. You are God's own child. And he doesn't like anyone messing with his children. So what do you do? Nothing. You just stand still and let God go on the attack. He has, he will, and he always will until that trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ are raised and all are caught up together with them in the air, there to be with the Lord forever. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I'm telling you, church, that's the truth. You know, when I was playing with Gary, he believes that too, by the way, very much. We, you too, we are chosen by God. We are redeemed by Christ, forgiven of all of our sins. And we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we walk in unity, and we walk in purity, and we walk in love, and we walk in, in harmony, and we walk in victory. And if a moment happens a 15th hole, 
and we find ourselves failing in unity or purity or love or harmony or victory, take a mulligan. Take a do-over. Thank God. Repent. I'm sorry, Lord. And he'll say, drop another one. Here we go. Church, I don't know of any other message from the Word of God that's more important than two. Basically, hear the good news of Christ. Receive Christ. Obey the gospel. Walk to the very best you can. Improve every day. But when we fail, well, we just confess our sins one to the other. And the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior, cleanses us of our sins. If you feel the need to respond to our Lord Christ, I invite the elders to come forth, our shepherds, and we invite you to, if you're nudged by the Spirit of God, to respond. You're responding to God. You're simply talking to a shepherd, and you'll both pray to the Father. As together we stand and sing, please.